This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. And we want to turn now to the 2020 presidential campaign trail, because for the first time, former Vice President Joe Biden called for impeachment and addressed the unfounded claims about his son's business ties to Ukraine. Ed O'Keefe is covering the Biden campaign tonight in New Hampshire. To preserve our Constitution, our democracy, our basic integrity, he should be impeached. After hedging on impeachment for weeks, Joe Biden ripped into President Trump today, calling him a threat to every American. We all laughed when he said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and get away with it. It's no joke. He's shooting holes in the Constitution, and we cannot let him get away with it. The president responded during Biden's speech, tweeting Joe's failing campaign gave him no other choice. You know, he didn't say that until right now, and he sees what's happening to him. I guess he's no longer the front runner. Paul Violis is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome to Security Matters, where your security matters most. I'm Paul Violas, and this is a CBS News Radio production. Uh, a big thanks to everybody hitting us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, today's show is a direct reflection of how you have such an impact of the content of this show because of the amount of people writing in questions about which is the whole subject of our show today, impeachment. Is the president getting impeached? Should he get impeached? What does the law say? What is this comment about civil, you know, civil war? Uh, I understand, I, and believe me when I say I understand the anxiety that goes through a lot of this. And you know, in, in pure security matters fashion, we have reached out to someone that, not just I, but all of CBS and so many people around the country you know, consider as a pure, and a, a, a and I mean that, a pure, true subject matter expert. Uh, I'm talking about a renowned legal scholar, law professor, author, Rhodes Scholar nominee, and CBS News radio legal analyst, Thane Rosenbaum. Thane, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Paul, always. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, Thane, thank I want to jump right into this. Um, my position, as, as we hear this, right, I, you know, and I'm not looking on the right side of the aisle, the left side of the aisle. I think, you know, we're Americans. We're, you know, we're about advanced citizenship. We can take the truth. We just need to know what it is. So, which is why we're so fortunate to have someone of your caliber and character here to, to guide us through this process. It's a frightening process. So let me start by benchmarking the subject so we can all put our arms around it. Um, what are the true material elements of impeachment? What is impeachment? 
Well, remember, Paul, impeachment is a political process. It's not a legal one. Uh, this is not a legal proceeding, which is why it was interesting when President Trump uh, last week said that he had a constitutional right uh, to uh, to examine the whistleblower, to confront him, as if this was a Sixth Amendment issue. Well, this is just not a legal proceeding. So that that the element there is, is missing. This is a political trial. Uh, if it becomes a trial, this is really just a political process for now. Got it. Um, in our system, uh, Congress uh, is is given the responsibility to decide whether there are grounds for an impeachment. An impeachment is really like in in criminal law would be an indictment, right? Would like a grand jury ind- indicting uh, the uh, the president and then moving for forward for trial. Okay. So the House deals with impeachment. The Senate de- deals with the actual tri- trial itself, which is why in our country uh, we've had actual two, two presidents who've been impeached, but they were not removed from office because that's the Senate's job. That's what the trial is. So, for instance, President Andrew Johnson and President Clinton were both impeached by the Congress, uh, but they were acquitted by the Senate, and therefore they remained in office. Um, so so, so that's, that explains part of it. Uh, the other part of it is the elements. If this isn't a criminal trial, that means that the um, criminal offenses or prosecutorial offenses are not really relevant here. You don't actually have to commit crimes in order to be impeached. So, Thane, let me ask you, what, what we keep hearing on the radio and we keep seeing on television is he's, he's committed high crimes. Forgive my yeah. ignorance, Thane, but what does that mean? Nobody knows. (laughs) You're an excellent company, Paul. Uh, Like so much of our founding fathers, in their wisdom, they never told us what they meant. (laughs) You know, so this is why, this is what constitutional law is about. This is why every year people find it maddening what they hear from the Supreme Court, because they're saying, where do you get this stuff? And the reason is because the the Constitution is deliberately vague. It's just a a kind of a a benchmark for us. uh, rulings, future rulings, uh, based on you know where we are as a, as a country at the time. So, high crimes and misdemeanors has never been defined. By the way, it's it's also uh, bribery, treason, and high crimes and misdemeanors. Right? Bribery. Okay. So I, and I because I'm going to learn a lot today, so I'm going to yeah. take some notes. Bribery, treason, treason, and then you get to high crimes and misdemeanors. So, for instance. Um, we have never impeached any federal official for treason. That's never happened. We've impeached people for dr- bribery. Again, uh, impeachment is a process for federal officials, so it doesn't have to be president. It can be a federal judge. So we've impeached over the years federal judges for bribery. So that's happened. Okay. Um, and again, when it came to Presidents Clinton and Johnson, we didn't impeach them for treason either. We really impeached them for what you see here more, abuses of power, breach of the public trust, which is sort of what we'll talk about in a moment when okay. we discuss what are, the, what are these highest crimes and misdemeanors. And so you could make the argument that in this case, extortion, which is what maybe took place with the Ukrainian president, uh, falls into the category of bribery. But technically speaking, this is going to fall into the category, of, as you would say, Paul, the unknowable uh, category of high crimes and misdemeanors. And so, again, if it's not criminal, the question, what is it? So the way it's usually interpreted is, you know, abuses of power, uh, breaches or violations of the public trust, uh, 
um, uh, behavior that might be called grossly in a, incompatible with the proper functioning of the presidency, right, the, okay. the dignity of the office, uh, and also power that's being used for personal gain. So those are roughly the categories that the Congress will have to think about, right? Generally, abuse of power, uh, behavior that's incompatible with the proper functioning of the office, uh, and power use for personal gain. This comes to us, again, not from the Constitution. This comes from the Federalist Papers and Alexander Hamilton. So this is kind of an aside that Hamilton gave us to sort of give us a better sense of how to guide ourselves with, if we're ever faced with an impeachment. So those standards, uh, violation of public trust, uh, you know, uh, or broad criminality in breaking the law. Again, you don't have to break the law in order to be impeached, but obviously Alexander Hamilton said if you did break the law, that could also be a cause grounds for impeachment. So that's why we're in that vague category. But I just sort of laid out a little of what you could look at as saying, this is what would constitute high crimes and misdemeanors. So this really speaks volumes then as to what we're seeing unfold, Thane, because as you just so eloquently put it, it's highly subjective and it's in the eyes of a political process, not a legal process. Exactly. So we don't even know. Yeah, go ahead. No. So, so if I'm understanding this correctly, then, so we have Congress, so we have members of the House that want to move for, for impeachment if, for whatever reason. I, I, I'm keeping politics out of this. But so you have members of the House that want to move towards impeachment because they feel that the president's behavior, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm struggling like so many Americans to figure this out, Dane. If, if I'm understanding this correctly, members of the House are moving towards impeachment because they feel that the president's actions on the telephone call with the Ukrainian president violated one aspect of the definition of impeachment in their eyes. That's right. Okay. That's exactly right. I mean, this is why this is a complicated case, because the question is, does, does the phone call with a foreign dignitary, a fellow president, in which this, the contents that we know took place, does that represent uh, an impeachable offense, right? Uh, now, your show, because of what it's the nature of your show about national security, uh, one then raises the question, was the president on this call conducting foreign policy in a way that undermined national security uh, by uh, trying to leverage or extort from another uh, uh, president from another country uh, uh, a favor that he wanted in order to uh, carry out a political vendetta uh, against a political rival. That's clearly what the House Democrats are going to say, right? right? That he was le- he was leveraging his office. That would mean the abuse of power, leveraging his office. To, in order to uh, conduct foreign policy uh, in such a way uh, as to, uh, as to uh, carry out a vendetta uh, against a political rival, and in doing so, encouraging or enabling a federal uh, government, a foreign, another foreign government, to interfere with our elections, our, our political process, which again is a national security question, right? Correct. That we have, we, right? That that another two countries, at least one country, maybe now, maybe China as well, has been invited 
right, by the president to engage in interference with our political process. Uh, and does that undermine our national security? Because remember, this is the president of the United States. He's responsible for the defense of the homeland. That's his job. Right. And instead of doing that, he contacted a foreign leader for the purposes of engaging and, and in doing so, extorting a, 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 a promise that says, I am withholding foreign aid that Congress has already allocated to you. And as the president, I'm not in the business of handling the purse purse in the United States is handled by Congress. They're, they have the power of uh, allocation of military aid. I'm going to withhold the money that Congress has already allocated, designated for you, until you uh, provide this, this favor. So two me. questions. That, that's, the, that's the case. So two questions, Dan. Two questions. I know I'm going to have more. Um, one, if you would, can you define extortion for us? Because I think that's really important for everyone to understand as, as we, we hear this. What is extortion? And two, does the president, and again, everyone, we're talking to, 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 to a true legal scholar here, Thane Rosenbaum. Thane, does the president have the ability, the power, to hold up those funds that Congress has already authorized? Well, let me take the, for the second question. I mean, it may have been throughout American history that presidents did something like this, right, where money that was allocated by Congress, which is their responsibility, was for other political or diplomatic or foreign policy considerations. Because you can imagine a president saying, yes, I know that you've allocated the funds, but I'm in charge of foreign policy. You're not. And I need to be able to use this as a leveraging tool in order to conduct foreign policy. And by the way, if it wasn't for the purposes of investigating a political rival, right, President Trump would be in a very different position if it was for something else that I really needed them for some other purpose. Uh, so you, so you basically, that. so basically, the leverage we're talking about is not bad. We're talking it's it's the manner in which right. it's being leveraged. Right, because think okay. about it. You know, you think of, think about the the the, the ongoing issues about the southern, uh, the southern border, right? The only time President Trump seems to win in court, uh, and he has several times in connection with his immigration initiatives, is when he frames it in terms of national security. That's Paul's show. That's what you're all about, right? right. That's the only time the president wins. He wins. He's won in front of the Supreme Court. He wins only when he frames it in terms of national security or in terms of national emergency. I'm the president of the United States. I'm the one that decides whether there's an emergency or not. And I have to make moves, including, remember what he did, speaking of Congress, moving money that was supposed to be allocated for, from the, for the Pentagon for military purposes and reallocating it to building a wall. Remember, Congress refused to give him the money that he needed to build a wall. The president diverted funds that were going to be used to the Defense Department under a theory of national emergency and said we're going to use the money here, right? So there's an example where the president is interfering with Congress's power of the purse, but he's invoking his powers as the leader of this nation in defending the homeland. So he can I'm do defending that. Defending the homeland. Yes, and it okay. seems like this, 
this is look, it's an ongoing legal question, right? right? This is the supremacy, the supremacy clause of the Constitution. I can assure you, everyone's going to continue. Lawyers are going to file suit, uh, always challenging the president's uh, uh, extension of his power. Uh, but the argument that the president will always make is, this is my executive authority, executive privilege, Got it. Uh, because it's my job to take to protect the homeland. So where does that's ext- why the thing. So where does extortion yeah. come into this thing? That's what I'm trying well, to figure out. Extortion is where you force another entity to con- engage in activity they otherwise would not have been involved in had you not forced them with some other kind of threat or intimidation. And so the two exactly, words, or else. Yes, or exactly. It's, like, it's something that you would otherwise not have chosen to do because there, unless I, and I, there's a quid pro quo. And if you do that, I will I will remove this impediment that I've put in here in right. place. Uh, so that's the difference of extortion. You're not really bribing them. You're forcing them to do something they otherwise wouldn't want to do. And oftentimes it's illegal what you're asking them to do. So, the, um, so, so then looking at the case now, right, as the information that's been presented, the House, members of the House are saying that the president was extorting and please correct me if I'm wrong, Thane, but this is what I'm getting from what I'm hearing. Um, that the president, they're alleging the president in their eyes extorted um, the president of another country. Right. By saying, I want you to, or we want you to, I guess the transcript says we, not I, we'd like you to look into this this meaning the former vice president's son. Because uh, this happened in your country, right? That's the ostensible argument, right? Right, because right, it saying, happened in your country. I want you to investigate something that happened in Argentina. We're saying this was your, my political rival's son was on the board of one of the companies in your country. That's why I'm asking you. Okay, so as I'm looking at this, we have, we have our president and, and he's saying, to the president of Ukraine, you know what? I've heard some things about so-and-so's son. And I'd like you to look into that. Does he say, and I didn't read the, the full transcript, but does he say, if you don't do this, I'm not going to uh, approve the funds? He's essentially saying that, and apparently so too did Rudy Giuliani, to make the point again that this is what it was being held, uh, you know, this is the Damocles sword that's held above your head, that this is something that you're expecting, that's something that you need. And also, Paul, this is, again, your show is dedicated to national security. It, this is so loaded in another way, right? Because right. you know that Ukraine is trying to defend itself against Russia. Oh, exactly. God, Putin, all of, Putin all over again, right? We're back to that. So here's money that uh, Congress has said the Ukrainians need in order to defend themselves against Russian incursions. Uh, and therefore, it's, it's something Congress thought was of an emergent circumstance, an emergency, and it needs to be delivered when we say it's going to be delivered. The president, who we know, has an ongoing relationship with President Putin, uh, so maybe he doesn't care so much whether the Ukrainians receive this money, money on time, these uh, military aid on time. And he's basically saying to the president of, of Ukraine, look, I know you need this money and we promise to give you this money, but I think that before you, there's an, there's an, there's an additional step before you receive it. 
And there will be, I will withhold it until such time so, as you perform the task that I ask. Which really kind of you know, brings me to the, that next question. I'm filled with questions for you, Thane. Um, the next question is, how can there be such a gross disparity of interpretation of a transcript? Now, <laughs> uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm guilty as charged, Thane. I am, I am a black and white guy, you know? That's why I love the law. You read, you, you, read, you read the material elements of a statute, and it tells you, did you do this? Yes. Well, right. you broke the law, right? I like that. Yeah. But this is confusing as, as, as all get out. So we have one side that's, and I know that all of our listeners here, um, Thane, are frustrated because you have one side going on TV saying, I read the transcript. That president hasn't done anything wrong. And then you hear right. the other side saying, we had to impeach him. Why is that happening? I don't understand. Well, Where's the ambiguity? Well, here, there's two things that I can think of. I'm sure there are more answers to this, Paul. But there's two things. One of which is that, you know, President Trump has rewritten all the rules on presidential conduct. So, for instance, let's compare this with the Nixon presidency. The Nixon presidency and Watergate, at the end, his downfall was a cover-up. Right. He didn't want those tapes of his conversations with other uh, uh, people within his administration in which he discussed the Watergate break in to be known because it would demonstrate that he, in fact, was involved and had full knowledge of this criminal uh, activity. Right. Uh, uh, right. Cut and dry. Uh, and so the whole thing. Right. Cut and dry. It was a cover up. No question. The thing about President Trump is he doesn't really cover anything up. You know, he. he Everything is out in the open. It's all transparent. So by its sheer transparency, the way he frames it, it's a perfect call. <laughs> I made a perfect call. It's confusing because normally this phone call and its contents would be covered up. He's taken a very different aggressive position. There's nothing wrong with my call. And besides which, it's consistent with what happened after the Access Hollywood tapes, right? right. Everyone assumed during the election, well, that's over. <laughs> you know, the Access Hollywood, the, what the truth is, that they used, started to use the term, the access Hollywood tapes, and that kind of behavior is, quote, baked in with President Trump, right? Okay. Which means his base doesn't care. They already assume it. His base assumes he's going to get on the phone with Ukraine, and he's going to get them to spy on the Bidens. You know, he's going he's gonna to put the... the and, and many Americans think there's something wrong with that. But there's, now, there's, there's, as, as a legal scholar, though... As you look at the allegations now, let's let's look at that one part of this. You're sitting in the Oval, and information's brought to you that if this is true, if the allegations against former Vice President Biden's son are true, exactly that. Yeah, and I know this is this may upset a lot of my listeners, and I'm going to apologize in advance, but I'm going to tell you that's going to upset me more than this. Yeah, that, that is what the president has been working for the last couple of days. What the press should be focused on is the criminal activity of the Bidens in Ukraine and the actions of a vice president at a time that his son is serving as a, as a board member of a, a, on, a, on a foreign corporation. And that's what this is about. Now, here, what's, what's the problem here? It sounds good, except that why are you asking the Ukrainians to do this? 
Why aren't you asking the CIA or your own intelligence agencies? Why don't we deal with it as a true legal or political matter initiated by the United States, not asking? Uh, it looks so, you know, soiled. Has anyone know, asked that, that question, Thane? I don't know. I have. That's the I first I've heard. So that the, I think we need to get you, you know, someplace involved here. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that's the question he's saying. It's a good question to say, look, the country should be more concerned about what the Bidens did, not my efforts. I was simply trying to find out what happened. I'm the president that's trying to understand what happened with this. And mm -hmm. so, therefore, I thought I was going to the right party. I went to the president of Ukraine, and I said, hey, this happened on your, on your soil. This is a Ukrainian issue. It involved an American and an American vice president and his son. And I want you to get to the bottom of it. Right. Uh, and so, therefore, that's why the president's saying it's a perfect call and I've done nothing wrong. And that's the way the Republicans are going to frame this, that to shift the, the inquiry to the Bidens and not on what seems like a sordid, uh, you know, phone call to undermine two things. First, to undermine Congress's power to deliver funds to the country, military aid to the country where it was designated, and to conduct foreign policy in such a way for a personal gain, right? To, right. to, so, to get a leg up on a rival. And I, I'm taking so much from this conversation, as I know everybody is, Thane, but the thing that really kind of sits at the core of this entire debacle is the fact that of what you led with i haven't let go of that yet i mean this is not a legal process this is a political process which means that it's in the eyes of the beholder as to how it's being interpreted which makes sense now it makes yes. sense why we're in this position because it's so highly how do we have a crime like impeachment where you can remove the most powerful political person in the world from office, and it's based on subjectivity. That's, that is just, all right, so I'll ask my last question, Shane, because I could probably ask you questions for hours. I could listen to you for hours. My last question is this. Based upon your experience, which is extensive, how do you see this ending up? Well, that's also a good question. Remember, we don't even know at this point, whether impeachment proceedings have been initiated, right? I mean, we know that uh, Congresswoman Pelosi has begun uh, impeachment inquiry, but normally, normally it was done with President Clinton, it was done President Johnson and President Nixon. There's a resolution calling for the, for the inquiry itself, for a formal impeachment inquiry. Uh, Congresswoman Pelosi is saying, I don't have to have that. I can just begin the process. So, that's the first thing already we're saying. You can see how Republicans should say, well, wasn't there supposed to be a vote to even begin? Which the I've inquiry? heard, right. Well, right. Which, is not, which has not happened, right? So right. There's, there's, a, there's a question, a legal constitutional question. What goes first? Can she just set it up, put it in place on her own? Or does Congress and the Judiciary Committee have to commence a formal inquiry and call for a resolution to begin the process. So it looks like we, the process has already begun. Now, at some point, uh, the Judiciary Committee will actually submit a resolution calling for articles of impeachment. Uh, that will include one or whatever, again, the things that you and I discussed. Right. One article of impeachment could be extortion, right? right. A second article of impeachment 
could be abuse of power, right? You can just imagine, right? The third one is, you know, uh, uh, in, uh, endangering national security, right? You can imagine the various articles of impeachment. And by the way, Paul, there's no reason why they can't uh, resurface some of the Mueller findings, right? Some of the things that came out of that to say, look, here's a broad scope of what we're complaining about with this particular president. And we want to list all of them to enlarge the scope of what the impeachment could look like. The House then will vote on that, on those articles of impeachment. Again, it takes the majority of the House members. So it's very possible that President Trump, now again, President, uh, Congresswoman Pelosi is saying we're not going to rush the process, right? But we also have an election coming up, right? So this right. could take many months before the articles of impeachment, a resolution for calling for articles of impeachment, is in fact submitted to Congress. At that point, Congress would vote on it. And if it's approved, it will then move to the Senate, where the Senate will then conduct a, a formal trial. Now, that'll look like a legal proceeding, but it's not. It's a legal proceeding, again, within the Senate. Uh, 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 Chief Justice Roberts will be the presiding judge. Uh, there'll be a few floor managers that will play the role of prosecutors. Uh, the president's attorney and attorneys will be present. And all the other senators will function as jurors. That's what it'll look like. Mm -hmm. But at that point, Paul, at the end of this trial, and again, just to prove again that this isn't a, a classic legal proceeding, the Senate decides what, who, what witnesses can be presented, what evidence is permissible, right? They set their own rules. So right. if you just said subjectivity, there's some more subjectivity. The Senate will decide what are the, what is, what's the rules of how this trial will be conducted. So standard right? rules of criminal procedure don't apply? No, they okay. set up their own rules. Okay. But again, it'll look like a trial, but it won't be a trial. And the best example of that <laughs> is sorry. what we just said, that the senators will decide what witnesses they'll hear from, what kind of evidence is legitimately presented before this body. Uh, at the end of that process, the end of that trial, uh, the decision to acquit or to convict the president of, of these high crimes and misdemeanors will be, have to be uh, passed by two-thirds of the, of the Senate. Which and will never happen. That's a lot, which will never happen. Think about the number right now. Right now, the uh, Republicans have a one-seat hold. That means that every, every single Democrat and 20-some-odd Republicans would have to vote to remove President Trump from office. So I think it's, it's, there is a strong possibility that there will be an impeachment of President Trump. I think there's very, very small uh, likelihood that you will see him actually removed from office. And remember, we've never done that in this country. Right. Presidents Johnson and Clinton were impeached, but were acquitted by the Senate. Right. Which, which as I look in the totality of everything that you said, which is so fascinating, I, I look at it as a procedure that is almost a farce when you think about it, <clears throat> because you have the American people, taxpayer money, that's going to spend, yeah. and saying, I don't know, I'm... I'm overly frugal, but I'm I'm thinking probably tens of millions in this process. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to spend tens of millions of dollars if we take this and market board this whole thing, right? A process that is highly subjective, is is a non-legal process, is entirely motivated by politics, is the the the, the incidences that are considered to be unacceptable are defined in the eyes of the members of the House. 
then they've got to pull things together in order to vote to impeach, which they need two thirds. Right. So it's right. highly. Um, I mean, it depends who you talk you mean to. Right? Not to not to not to impeach to remove from office. Right, so, but you Senate. need you need two thirds of the house to approve impeachment. You know, you, you need a majority. Oh, you need a majority. I stand corrected. So you need fifty-one percent. Right. Right. That's why. That's why there's a much greater likelihood. Exactly. That you see okay. Impeachment. You see impeachments, but you don't actually see uh, removals from right. office. Right. So it's highly likely, after all the money that is spent, out of all the interruption, out of the fact that the House has spent so much time on this, we're 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 legislating. We're not legislating anything, Payne. We're we're we're, we're investigating. So, yes, and in fact, your point, I'm sorry to interrupt, but your point is you touched on another point. We're not legislating, which means that all the business of Congress will come to a halt anyway. Right. Nothing will be done but this. And so not only will we not be legislating, we'll just be doing this, which is why politically, Paul, yes. people are saying this is going to blow up in the face of Democrats. Oh, there's no doubt, because, see, the other thing, too, that I look at um, is, you know, if I tell you, Bef- uh, the the day you, you the, the the day he's he wins the election, Democrats are saying we're going to impeach him. We're going to impeach him. The guy hadn't opened his mouth yet, and they were ready right. to impeach him then. Don't I mean I'm looking at this as an objective person, and I'm saying, you know, you kind of showed your cards there, right? But you see, that doesn't even matter because at the end of the day, it's like you so eloquently put this, you know. This is a political process. It's going to take its course because that's what it does. It's going to cost to American taxpayers tens of millions of dollars. And at the end of the day, there's probably not a snowball's chance in hell that it's going to pass the Senate. So we're going to investigate. We're not going to legislate. The American people are not going to be served by getting things done they should. And then it's going to blow up in the face. The president will probably use this against them during the campaign. I don't know, Thane. I'm shaking my head, but I have to tell you this, my dear friend. I know a lot more right now than I did 30 minutes ago, thanks to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, I'm happy and, to help. And, and on behalf of everyone here at, at, at Security Matters and everyone who listens, I really appreciate it. Um, you are truly a national treasure, and I'm so happy that we work together. So, uh, That's very, very kind of you to say, Paul. Thank Thane, you so much. Rosenbaum, and enjoy the holidays. I hope you had, a, by the way, I hope you, you had a, a blessed Rosh Hashanah. Um, what a beautiful! I did, but I have, a, I, have a fast, I have a fast coming up. Yes, I did, but I have a fast coming up. Yes, and you've got the most sacred of sacred holidays coming That's up. Quite right. Uh, yeah. Which Thank to you me for is such a—it's so so beautiful, you know, um, yeah. the, the, the the that time of atonement. Um, but the other part about Rosh Hashanah, I'll tell you real briefly, okay, and then we got to go. Sure. So like I was hear. born on Rosh Hashanah. Oh wow! Yeah, and. Um, my mom was in uh, North Shore Hospital, and she's sitting next to, well, she's laying down, right? She's in, she in a room with this very nice lady, Jewish lady, and, and her husband walked over, and, and my mom told him the story. The, uh, this big, handsome man comes over and shakes her hands and says that you were blessed because a boy, if, if a boy is born on Rosh Hashanah, I guess it's a good luck sign or something like that. I don't know. But... Uh, Anyway, that's what my mom told me, so well, I got to go with it. Now, now, now we know why your listeners also <laughs> received the blessing. That's how, that's how they got you, Paul. <laughs> you're, a, you're a Rosh Hashanah gift to them. That, that's a good thing, right, Thane? That's a good thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. <laughs> just say, tell people. 
I just want you to know I'm a Rosh Hashanah gift to my listeners. <laughs> I'm going to lead with that. I'm telling you from now on. Yeah. But, but yeah, Thane, well. thank you so very much, Thane Rosenbaum, the thank CBS you, News Radio legal analyst, for, for being with us today. And blessed holiday. And God willing, I will speak to you soon. Thank you, my friend. Be thank well. You. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up the day. Stay with us. What we see in this impeachment is a kangaroo court, and Chairman Schiff is acting like a malicious Captain Kangaroo. The White House says it won't cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. If the president thinks that he's going to prevent us from moving forward, he's sadly mistaken. We have ample evidence. It's shocking behavior of the president. It's illegal. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas. And to, to finish up our show for today, I, I, I want to touch on a couple of things um, to reiterate. And, and Thane brought up some really good stuff. But to reiterate, when we talk about impeachment, hopefully this has been an education for you. I know it is for me. Um, and I always love being able to speak with people that are just obviously so much smarter than I am. And, it, it, and, and Thane did a great job, I think, in breaking this down so that what we see on television now, at least for me, the chaos... And the stupidity makes sense. I, I get it now. I, I get where it's going. Um, the other part about this that I, I, I want to make sure we take up some time right now, not much, real quick as we close. There's been a lot of rhetoric about uh, a comments that were made on social media um, during an interview at, a, at, another, at another network about if the president is impeached, there will be civil war. I want to just put a little calming thought there. Number one, the likelihood of the president being impeached is one in a kajillion. And look up kajillion. It's, it's a big number. The other part about that is we don't need to have any anxiety and angst over that because there is not going to be a civil war. Do we have a lot of division in this country? Yes. Is there a lot of disdain towards people based on what we look like and what we talk how, and how we speak and where we're from? Yes. I mean, there's no question that we need to make a lot of improvements here in this country. We know that. We talk about it. But we are not close to being concerned about a civil war. Do we absolutely need to be concerned about a lot of things and, and certain groups that are clearly violent? Yes. But w- with the law enforcement that we have in this country, with the military presence of our National Guard in each state, with the crisis response procedures that we train on and prepare for every day, with the intelligence network that we have in the United States, from cyber to boots on the ground, second to none. So all I say to you is, please, don't lose a second sleep over any comments about a civil war because it's simply not going to happen. There is not going to creep up on us. And if there is something that's concerning, law enforcement in this country will collaborate. We'll take care of it. So don't let that bother you. And as far as this impeachment process, see see it for what it is. And hopefully you got that today. I know I did. So on behalf of everybody here at Security Matters and certainly on behalf of everyone at CBS News Radio. I want to thank you all for listening. We'll catch up with you next week. 
Be safe. Be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violis. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.